Hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and today we'll be talking with Amelia Diaz-Struck from the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, where she serves as Research Editor and Latin American Coordinator. She talks to us about the FinCEN files, ICIJ's most recent investigation, she explains how a team of hundreds of journalists in 88 countries sifted through $2 trillion worth of transactions, found in over 2,500 documents, revealing how the world's biggest banks have allowed criminals to move dirty money around the world. Let's take a listen to our conversation with her now. Amelia Diaz-Struck, welcome to Conversations with Data. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for the invitation. It's an honor. Yeah, I just wanted to start off, um, tell us about yourself and your work at ICIJ. Yeah, well, um, I uh, am currently based in DC and uh, I oversee uh, all our data and research work. So I work with an amazing team of um, data journalists, uh, researchers, uh, developers that are behind this amazing work we do uh, to mine sometimes millions of records uh, and make and understand the data and work together uh, with our reporters uh, in answering the data needs we have for each story. At the same time, we have uh, ICIJ is very special because we collaborate with journalists all around the world. So at the same time, we work together uh, with partners everywhere. So we coordinate uh, collaborations with other data teams and also uh, aside <laughs> another hat where in the organization, I, I coordinate our uh, Latin American partnerships. So every time like we're involving partners in Latin America, I, I also focus on bringing great journalists uh, on board and the projects to work in large investigations with us. But yeah, it's, it's a big, uh, spending a lot of time with data, understanding sometimes very complex data sets. Uh, they are not always ready. So how we structure them, how do we make the best of them? How do we share it with a full community? Because in our case, it's important that it's not only data journalists who use the data, but all journalists who are part of the project who get the benefit of working with data. So last week, um, ICIJ and all your partners, you came out with the FinCEN files, uh, this huge investigation. Um, I thought maybe you could just talk us through, like, just generally what, what this investigation was about and um, any key findings. Yeah, no, so um, the FinCEN files is an investigation that started um, after BuzzFeed uh, reaches uh, because they had um, a collection of documents that are called suspicious activity reports that um, are haven't been known to the public. These reports... Uh, are filed by banks to the U.S. Treasury authorities, the FinCEN, uh, that's hence the name of the project. And they um, report on transactions that could be um, flagged or considered suspicious because they could potentially be involving money laundering and other things. Um, the, the, the files we got um, were obtained as part of the uh, U.S. congressional investigation into the Russian uh, interference in the 2016 uh, U.S. election. Um, and then it's only a small sample of a larger system because what the files we got 
uh, are about more than 2,100 suspicious activity reports. Uh, and they are from uh, mostly 98% of them, I think, between they were filed between 2011 and 2017. That's only 0.02% of, <laughs> of the reports that FinCEN received that year. But it, they gave us an unprecedented look into uh, the anti-money laundering monitoring system by banks and also allowed us to explore some of the failures in that uh, monitoring system. Uh, for instance, uh, cases in which uh, people or organizations investigated or flagged and then transactions continued happening after those uh, sanctions or rules happened, you know? So it's banks actually continuing enabling and facilitating transactions over time after some uh, organizations or people have been uh, investigated or like uh, or flagged because of money laundering. We have also seen uh, lacks in the reporting system. We have seen um, failures, for instance, in at least in that sample, um, in how much the banks that flag these reports knew about their customers. So I think in about half of the reports, they had at least one client they flagged about that they didn't know who was behind a company or who the client was. And this is tied to, um, and I think it's, it's a very complex investigation. So if there is any question, just let me know. But these reports came from banks that are intermediary banks, basically, because when you, like if you wanna send money um, from uh, Germany to Madagascar, for instance, how do you pass that money? in the financial system. So there are banks based in New York, uh, most of them are in the US, that facilitate that transaction. So they always usually get converted into US dollars. Uh, and to facilitate that transition or transaction between those two other countries, there could be one or more than one bank that are called correspondent banks, that, that are these intermediary banks. And these banks are the ones that are sending these reports because it, due to US law, uh, they are required to send them if they see, they see something suspicious. And so far, I'm curious, um, what has been the impact, do you feel? It's been a week since you guys now launched this investigation. Has it lived up to your expectations impact-wise, or is it too soon to say? Well, I think it's still soon to say, but what we have seen is already important and impressive considering also that we are uh, living in the COVID era, like we have gotten a lot of attention. Um, I think there have been discussions about regulations. We know uh, Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders have made public statements about it and, and they're looking into the regulatory part of it. We know in Europe have also been open discussions about it and how do you, what is the regulation that is connected? Because that, that's the other big discussion. What is the current regulation that banks have, which is tied to this reporting system, and are there improvements that can be made into the regulatory system to perhaps uh, in, in the different aspects we have revealed. And, and I think the, dis the discussions have started. So it's like having discussions being started like the first week after publication, I think it's, it's, it's already uh, important. And, and well, we will see what, what comes next. So how many different partners did you collaborate with for this whole investigation around the world? 
Yeah, the investigation involved more than 400 journalists in 88 countries. And altogether, we were 110 media outlets uh, participating in the project. Wow, that's a lot to organize. Can you sort of talk me through what that was like as the person who's like trying, obviously you have a team, but you're managing these relationships and all this data. Like, how did you, how did you, where did you start? In our case, we we always start figuring out what are the countries that are connected to the data, no? So there's a first initial step of figuring out what kind of data do we have in front of us? Are there any interesting um, people of public interest or organizations of public interest in the data that, that allow us to bring partners on board? And we ask ourselves, how global is this data? So one of the findings, even though that this set came through this uh, specific investigation and, and some other FOI requests, is that the data connected with the world. So we had like subjects or, and organizations or clients tied to more than 170 countries. So that's when, when you start figuring out, oh, there are highlights tied to, for instance, Venezuela, then we started involving partners in Venezuela. There are highlights tied to Austria, then we started involving partners in Austria. So we did, we did do a lot of uh, planning on that front. And we have a big, we had a big meeting in Germany with about 200 of them already at the time. And um, the project lasted 16 months. So like more than a year ago, like uh, we, we met in Germany and it was to uh, figure out what the documents are about, but also to coordinate. How are we going to work together? How Are there any potential collaborations across countries? And uh, and actually, uh, for all partners who join a project, then they also agree on keeping it confidential, agree to actually share with everyone, to not to keep <laughs> the findings for themselves. And we use our great uh, technologies developed by our tech team. Uh, like we have one that is called DataShare that is open source uh, that allows people to explore uh, the documents. So that, like all the documents were added there, so that facilitates people exploring in a secure way all, all the files. Uh, and then that, that tool also does entity extraction. So you get, can get a sneak peek of like what entities names are there and do searches as you would do in an open search platform. But like this one is was protected and only exclusive for the project. Um, and then we also use what we call the global IHUB, uh, which is a collaboration uh, platform. It's like a social network for journalists secured where basically you have groups and subgroups where you can organize the whole investigation. And then you have like a project manager, uh, Fergus, like also providing guidance in our, in our case on the data, also providing all the guidance. And we actually did a large collaboration this time because of the complexity of the files. Uh, so there was a, like, I would say like a project within a project data-wise where we had more than 85 journalists in 30 countries um, extracting data from the files. We try to automate as much as possible, but these reports have a lot of manual, like they have a structured part of it of, that we extracted, of course. And then there is an, there are narratives in the reports where they explain what they're suspecting about, like, and they talk about the transactions, but the variations in the language and the complexity of these reports, even though we try to automate as much as possible, we couldn't get all the insights we needed. So we actually, created what we call the data extraction party. And we had all these uh, reporters working together with us. So we, in, in that tool, the, the IHUB, we had 
we coordinated the efforts, we had a Q&A section where people would ask about the data and uh, about the extraction process itself. And then we were a lot in communication. And that, that we're talking about the global collaboration. There was a lot of, of course, internal coordination uh, with our whole a data team uh, that was involved in this data project, but also in other analysis that we were doing and with BuzzFeed's news uh, data team too. So it's a lot of like these projects I think require to over communicate, like you always need to, you know, to be present uh, and to respect different views uh, and understand that those bring more to, to your own project. Interesting. Um, and so what was the analysis process like? <laughs> I mean, how did that, like, so you cleaned the data, you worked with all these reporters, uh, but then did they just use that tool you talked about? Or how did you, how do you control that? Like, it just seems very overwhelming, no, you know? Th- th- there was a lot <laughs> in going and, and uh, definitely there are many people, like, I think we should, uh, we should thank in this process. It was a constant collaboration. So when we started this data party, uh, what did we do? Like uh, we built a template uh, basically in an Excel form because the project got extended. Like we had a different deadline. So we didn't build a tool for the extraction itself, but we built a template and we uh, built a guidelines on how to extract the data. So everyone was using the same format. And then um, uh, together, like it, it was uh, John and me, we were assigning the extractions to the whole team, no? And then it was, uh, we discovered at the beginning that, oh, if you assign extractions tied to the people's own countries, then they are more keen to do it. And it's a way of actually to understand better these complex documents. So we started, there was a lot of campaigning on like making data friendly for everyone. So uh, we started campaigning in this extraction party. That's why we ended up calling it the data extraction party. And there was a lot of um, following up with, uh, with the partners and with the team. But that was just the beginning because imagine an 85 people extracting data. They would upload the files into a specific group that we had on, on IHUB uh, where they had extracted the information. And then we had uh, Miguel uh, from our team who built a fantastic fact-checking tool for us because how do you validate if you have all this manual work how do you validate all these extractions? And we wanted to get it right. Um, so actually, we had using Django, uh, we built it like with Miguel uh, taking the lead and, and with Pierre's help, we built this fact-checking tool that would allow us to fact-check the extractions. And as it was so complex, we did three rounds of fact-checking. So we had everyone on ICJ's data team checking all the transactions and connections that were extracted from this data party. So we spent one year extracting data and seven months fact-checking it. Uh, and it was, uh, the tool would actually highlight, for instance, what people would have extracted in the extraction process. So when you are going through the fact-checking, you would be able to see what was, if it was correct or not. And, um, and yeah, and there was, and there were many nuances, so we had to be very careful. So that's, that's why we did three rounds of fact-checking. And that's only at that level of the extraction process. There was a lot of analysis done uh, by different members from the team on different things. So, for instance, we produced the confidential clients. 
uh, where Delphine and Margot and, and other members from the team worked. Uh, and that one um, was specifically on this on the clients uh, on 20 people uh, that, that had been flagged. Uh, and you had, for instance, let's say Odebrecht that was tied to the largest corruption scandal in Latin America. So that work involved on the data front also going through lots of transactions and being sure that you're not double counting and analyzing how much money was moved and from which banks to which banks, from which countries to which countries. Um, we, we matched the data that we had extracted with the a company's house, a, a UK comp, a corporate records. Uh, so to see how much on one side um, the, um, the companies had reported to company's house and then in their turnover, in the financial reports. So then we saw actually um, some billions of dollars actually that were not reported to company's house that appeared in our transactions. And then uh, the companies flagging a very low turnover in their uh, in their income uh, in their yearly income for the years for which we had the transactions. We also found and clustered the data. So and those were only with companies that were in the FinCEN files. So we match it with against LLPs and LPs that are, that are the specific types of companies that you would find there. And we found did cluster analysis with Carrie's. Uh, um, work and Simon who worked on that story too. Um, so we did a clusters analysis to, to see which formation agents were behind registering hundreds of companies that were in our data. And some of those, or many of those were actually shell companies. So you don't know who is behind them really. So you had addresses and you had signatories and on other patterns in the data. And then um, with Augie and John and Jeremy, uh, we actually uh, also reviewed, which was a project in itself too, like uh, reviewed like how, how big the transactions are. We did a country analysis. Uh, actually, at the beginning, banks actually provide an address and then a country code for the address. For half of them, the country code was wrong. So like you would say, like you would have an address in China and they would provide a CH country code that actually stands for Switzerland. And then they would try to fix it and there were still errors in, in, the, in the way the countries were uh, flagged. And that, that is an issue because if you're trying to analyze transactions and money flows, then you need to look at the right countries. So we looked at that, we, look, we did also text analysis to see, um, for instance, how much banks knew about their customers. And that's how we know that half of them, and at least uh, for one of their clients, in, in, in half of the reports for one of their clients, they didn't know who was behind the company. Um, and then we also reviewed in how many cases they asked for more information. And I think in more than 160 occasions, they didn't get any response uh, too. So they asked and didn't get a response. Uh, so that was all through text analysis. But all, all of this involved a lot of validation processes. So there was a lot of um, we for the addresses we did use machine learning too to try to uh, solve also the classification problem. But then there was also the manual work of going and checking and validating what the computer had provided us. And I just wonder, I'm thinking about your other investigations that ICIJ is like known for: um, the Panama Papers, the Luanda leaks. 
Um, were there any patterns you saw like that were coming up again in this that surprised you or, or it wasn't surprising at all? Well, the, the thing is interesting because, um, for instance, uh, Luanda Leaks or Panama Papers or Paradise Papers, especially Panama and Paradise, uh, we, we were getting documents from offshore firms. So that gives you a, a specific perspective on how the offshore system works and the level of secrecy. And of course, we had transactions involved. But these documents are directly connected to the banking system. So I, I feel that they could complement each other. But this was like there were things that were new for us, like how uh, how is um, how are banks monitoring themselves? How like that? That was we didn't have that that kind of perspective before. Like these are different. These are the enablers in terms of the transactions. These are the ones that, yeah, the offshore like you would see like in Panama or Paradise, like you would see how the offshore system works. Like how people and organizations using offshore like either for tax purposes or uh, also tied to corruption cases and other cases that we have revealed, also money laundering. But I think they are different pieces of the system. So there were, yes, there were new surprises for us because it, this was a, a, a different topic. And I, I say somehow like we, we can't connect them, but we can't compare them either. Like this, like the challenges we face dealing with the data were different. They both were huge, but for different reasons. And I just wonder from your experience working on this and other projects, what um, what data languages do you do you work with? Do you know, do you, do you rely on, do you know SQL or R or Python? What What is your preference? Well, I, 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 I'm open to the team using different languages because I think that adds uh, different views to or different approaches to the same data problem. So um, there are many things for which uh, some of our people from the team use uh, Python or SQL. And in other cases, an Excel sheet and Google Sheets was a great way to address a problem. And, and at another level, we had to develop a fact-checking tool using Django, and that, that was also used for Python. There are more people using Python these days, and we have more people using Python in our team. But I think uh, I don't mind the programming language or the approach. The key is to to have solid approaches to the data, to, to do the analysis. And for us, like it's important to, to validate our own analysis. So we could have one person doing an analysis in SQL and then another reproducing it in Python or in Excel. And then if we get the same results, that's it. But I think the key for us is the data set of mine and be critical. There were a lot of issues with this data. So it was not just about the programming language itself. It's about being critical about the data, having that understanding, doing research outside the data to, to see how can you actually mine it correctly. Yeah, definitely. And I wonder, um, thinking about the collaboration that was involved in this, what did, what did you learn from that? Or was there anything new or unexpected working with these different news outlets? Well, I, I think uh, like this is, like we have done lots of collaborations this is the first time we do this massive data extraction collaboration. Uh, and that, that, was, uh, that was actually very interesting in, in different ways in terms of, um, I think it helped getting engaged, uh, everyone in different countries. And, and for us, as, as I was saying from the beginning, it's great to get more people who are not necessarily being the data team in their teams, getting familiarized and involved with the data. 
because then then you have more people understanding the work the data team is doing and and, and having cross teams collaborations you know and and it, like data being understood as part of the reporting process so that that is that is important for us for us is data is not just the end product for us there is a lot of data work that is happening as part of the reporting and empowering the reporting and how can it support like sometimes finding leads sometimes being at the heart of the of the reporting of a story uh, so there could be data-driven stories too and then how we make it visually appealing too but it like for us it's like a full process and in, in this process of uh, of having this collaboration with partners don't underestimate the time you need to spend following up and cheerleading I, I would have to say there there is a lot of there was a lot of effort to in the cheering and getting everyone engaged and uh, and making sure that everyone was uh, extracting the information. You can't just say okay, we launched this initiative and we just leave you on your own. Uh, we have now J Jelena, uh, who's part of our team, Jelena Kosik, who's our, also our training manager. She did a lot of training too, and that I think that was a great bonus. For, for our project, like because then it's how do you how do you get everyone to use our technology, but at the same time, how do you get everyone to understand better the data? So I think you need to, when you are doing these collaborations, you need to figure out what are your best engagement strategies with your partners. Um, especially if they're complex, you want everyone to be engaged until the end. And sometimes you don't get the stories the first days you're looking at the documents. So it takes a lot of time to understand what do you have in front of you? So how exactly, say I'm an investigative journalist living in the Middle East um, and I'm independent or I'm a freelancer, would I be able to work with ICIJ at all? Or how, how do you guys work with individual, or not, not just news outlets, but do you, I guess you have partnerships with news outlets on specific projects, but how does it work? Well, we, we, do, we do contact uh, the journalists. Uh, so actually, if you're a freelancer or you're part of an outlet and you're a journalist excited about the work ICAJ does, like there are different ways. You can approach us and you can say, I'm an investigative journalist and passionate about this. We're always looking for expanding our partnerships. So for instance, Will Fitzgibbon, who's our partnership coordinator in Africa, is all the time checking which which journalists are doing interesting things in Africa and sometimes gets approached and say, okay, there, there are these new outlets there or there are these new journalists doing these things. And then let's, let's try this for the next project if these countries are represented. You could also pitch ideas. And I always say like, that's how it started for me with ICAJ. So, uh, so you don't need to be part of a huge organization to actually pitch an idea for IC to ICAJ. If you, you have some idea of, of a topic that you think it's global, where sometimes like the system could be broken or people are affected by it, you can contact us. Like I, I would say, don't be afraid to to reach out. Like so, you you never know. Uh, and and uh, we have met and and, and expanded uh, our uh, our collaborations because of that. Like when we did Panama, that's why I explained why we are now more than four hundred. When we did Panama Papers, we were three hundred and eighty-two when we published. Now we're more than four hundred, and we have more countries than the ones we had when we worked on the Panama Papers. And it's based on that experience. Like it's reach out, contact uh, either if you don't have an idea, but to say like I'm an investigative reporter, share some of your work, and and 
so that you're on the radar and we know that you're excited about collaborations. Because for us, it's important not only that you're a great journalist, like there are many great journalists. And I always say you could be the best investigative journalist in the world, but not necessarily be a good fit for a collaboration if you are not willing to collaborate. So if you're like in that mode of lone wolf journalism, that's not what we need. We need great journalists, but also great journalists who are willing to collaborate and share with others. So if you're excited about working with colleagues all around the world and having kind of like this virtual newsroom and investigations, like and have time for doing long-term investigations, just reach out. Okay, great. Um, and I just wondered, do you have any advice on like data resources or any podcasts or books that you or blogs that you follow that that help you or helped you when you started out? Well, I, I something that helped me a lot when I started out was uh, actually the IRE community, NICAR. Like they have a subset, like when I started, it was not called data journalism. I'm from the computer assisted reporting generation. <laughs> but uh, so they do, they do have um, a lot of tip sheets and resources if you want to work with data and uh, the community, uh, like, Every, every time they, they organize their yearly, um, they still call it computer assist NICAR, like the computer assisted reporting data journalism conference. Every person who presents or like does a workshop shares what it's called tip sheets. So actually those are fantastic because besides like they could include like, it could be about coding or it could be about research, uh, researching data. Like it could be, uh, including Margot Williams, who's our uh, part of our team, she has the best, I think, research tips on like all the best databases you can use around the world. She always shares them, and she has a, an extensive list of places where you can go to find data across countries. So that's that's one just one small example. But I think NICAR, like IRE, they, like if, if if you're a member, like or you become a member, you have access to a huge amount of resources. Uh, the Global Investigative Journalism Network does the same. They also have resources on, on data and also investigative journalism in general. Um, then there are other like sites like you can try like uh, Code Academy, like if you want to get quick insights to like to some coding. Um, but I do think like some of the best resources sometimes, and we, we forget it, might be sitting next to us. Like so, don't be afraid to to collaborate and partner with others. Don't be afraid to like even like work colleagues you're working with to ask them about their experience because those are sometimes we learn so much from them. Amazing. Um, and is there anything else we can look forward to from ICIJ? Well, um, I think uh, if you wanna get a, a, a sneak peek with like the data, we, we did publish a, like a portion of the data what we published actually in, in a map format so people can explore some of the transactions only when they, they had it's a sample I would say like it's a uh, of, of the whole thing that we were able to get but it's a, where you can see how the money flows across countries so that's that's exciting don't miss the confidential clients don't miss our stories we will keep publishing more uh, and if you have any data or exciting ideas and you want to pitch us a project just be in touch. I think uh, more more will come. We will continue following up on, on the Finson files. It was a huge project and there's still, I think, stories uh, coming and stories to be told. And uh, But yes, if and if you find anything exciting in that data set that we shared, contact us too. Marvelous. Well, thank you so much uh, for joining us today on Conversations with Data. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much for the invitation. 
A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this, you could subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I've been your host, Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.